Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. You do not need to wipe the sleep out of your eyes or the grain dust out of your eyes because, yes, there definitely was some green on the screen today for these markets. Even when flip side, when you look at the livestock side, even cattle and lean hogs saw some green. Feeders, not so much. But... What's going on in this market? What was the kind of random movement that brought this green to the forefront? Is it the corn and the wheat? Is it some issues with soybean meal maybe backing off of their negativity? We're going to get all those details today as Heather Ramsey joins us with the ARC group. And Heather, I tell you, it's nice. As you and I were talking before this program, one of the first positive days in grains we've seen in quite a long time. Yes, it is. Um Really, actually, I'm I'm like so excited to see everything <laughs> green for a change. You know, we've been so at the mercy of what's been going on with this reaction to what to our macro environment, to our financial environment, that to finally see some premium come back into commodities feels kind of like a sigh of relief. Now, I'm not I'm not sitting here convinced that now it's just like straight back up for the next week or two weeks. I'm not convinced of that yet, but I am convinced that maybe we've found this this bottom everyone's been searching for on corn, wheat, beans, um, soy meal, potentially. Um, we just we really needed to like bottom out and say, okay, all right, we're back to net neutral. Where do we go from here? And so seeing the move today looks like um, we're seeing quite an interest in sort of retaking control of the commodity markets from a fundamental standpoint um, instead of letting that fear of what's going on in the financial world kind of dictate, you know, where the money flow is, is what it looks like. So in some ways, can we blame this all on the soybean meal? A little um, bit? You know, today's correction, so to speak, I wouldn't give the credit to soybean meal. Um, I would definitely look to them as a, a pretty big um, proponent of what has happened the first four days of this week. Um, but today's correction, I really think, is finally wheat getting some legs under it, both Chicago and Kansas City, and then corn going with it. You know, the the Chicago wheat versus corn spread was like the smallest it had been for this time of year in I don't even know how many years, a ton of years. Um the Chicago versus Kansas City wheat spread um, was out of balance as well. In general, fundamentals are saying that corn and wheat are way undervalued with where supply is at for this 22 crop going into the 23 crop. And everyone's been really talking about that. And then you pair that on top of China having made large purchases over the last week on old crop corn. And it's important that it's old crop corn. I mean, there's, there's no other corn to be had you have to buy U.S. corn. So if they were going to buy corn, we needed to see it happen. And we did. Um, and so those volumes start adding up, and it's a pretty big chunk right now. It's almost uh, 3 million metric tons just over the last week here of old crop corn specifically, um, plus all the other outside non-Chinese purchases that have happened as well. So we needed to see that happen. We knew it was probably coming. It was just like when. And so now that it's here and it's been happening, you really have to start digesting this old crop corn picture still. You know, this is a tight crop. This 22 crop is a tight crop. Um, we're seeing really good export sales. We're seeing an undervaluation of both the corn and the wheat crop. We know we've got issues in this winter wheat belt. Man, I mean, this crop is tough. 
Um, and at the same time, we have this going on. Now, today's catalyst, I will say, is wheat. You know, we have Russian commentary um, coming out looking at buying up, um, you know, certain volumes of wheat to try and put a minimum, a floor price on for Russian wheat, Russian wheat farmers, um, trying to ensure that they make a certain amount of money. Uh, so that's what the Russian government's talking about. They're also talking about the details of this Black Sea corridor and that, you know, we, not all things may be hunky-dory, you know? Now, does that Maybe come as a surprise, though? Maybe everything warm, fuzzy. What's that? I said, does that even come as a surprise, though, that there's... <laughs> Not things working with those guys? No, I mean, really, no. We we've been we've been up in the air on this corridor for I, I think it's been months now, I and mean, it's kind of this never-ending discussion. Now the end date is looming, and I think we all think that the end date is in May, but the end date could be in April, for all we know. With the way that the Russians, um, you know, negotiate and handle discussion, which is not very clear and not very concise, I think there is just this ever looming concern that um, if Russian wheat isn't available to large parts of the globe, you know, what happens? And so now we're seeing that shift. Funds were really short. They were big buyers today covering some of those shorts and, and flipping some positions. So we're, we're back to talking about corn and wheat. We spent the last two weeks talking about beans and bean meal. Your guess on where we decide to shift to again is as good as mine. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about this wheat before we wrap up this front half. Is We're starting to see the crop come out of dormancy to the south, obviously, as warmer temperatures continue to move north. Do you have some kind of apprehension? I don't want to use the word nervousness, but some apprehension about what we might see coming out of dormancy? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you can look at a drought monitor, Um like just go anyone should just go look up the most recent drought monitor and that'll give you an inkling about your concern over wheat at this point in time our most severe drought still exists in the region of the country that grows the most winter wheat um, and we are talking stage three i think there's a little 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 band of stage four uh drought severity so it's a big deal um we had virtually no moisture in those regions for the last probably six months and counting in some places. So real concern in the market hasn't really traded any of that. We haven't, we haven't had condition ratings or anything like that yet to, um, to really digest and put to the market to test. Well, those will start coming out here soon. Stick around, folks. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Heather Ramsey with the ARC Group. When we come back, we're going to talk about who owns the grain. What's going on right now with the elevators? We know that China has been in here making lots of purchases, but where is the grain going to be coming from? It's an interesting conversation. It's coming up after this. It's the Fontenelle Final Bell. Hey, Tom, I see a Fontenelle sign there on your North 80. That corn looks pretty good. Well, yeah, my neighbors had good luck with Fontenelle, so I decided to give it a try. They've been around for quite a while? Well, sure have. In the last last three seasons, Fontenelle's 15 top-yielding corn products had over a nine-bushel advantage over Pioneer's commercially available leading volume corn products. Wow, that's impressive. I'm thinking I might add some Fontenelle to my farm. Well, just contact your local dealer or go to Fontenelle.com if you want more information. Read and follow pesticide label directions, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. KRVN. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Continuing our conversation this afternoon with Heather Ramsey. Heather, of course, with the ARC Group. And we left off, I was kind of hinting, and you I had started to have a great conversation before we even started recording, is who owns this grain right now? We hear that there's not a lot of old crop in the elevators. 
Is it sitting at the farms? Where is it all at? And and what does this haul unfold as we see more folks like China continue to buy some markets? You had a great perspective, um, Heather, as to what we're seeing in this old crop possibilities. Yeah, you know, I think one of the the key things that the general market talk has um, sort of let slip away is that, you know, this 22 crop was a short crop on corn, especially. Uh, well, and beans too. But, you know, when we're talking about where's the corn going to come from for this feed demand, for this ethanol demand, for this export demand, it's like, well, I don't know. <laughs> because where is it? We, you know, we, we grew a smaller crop and we seem to have sort of forgotten that in general trade discussions here lately. And um, it was an interesting conversation. I, I've had conversations with end users who are looking for corn in the state of Nebraska. And, you know, I, we're, we're almost done. We're down to bin bottoms, you know, for a lot of our client base. And I think that that's very true for a lot of farmers. What, what happened this year is we had big pockets of growing areas that saw a decent sized loss. You know, for ours, our example in my neck of the woods, we have, we have a good chunk of our client base that had a 20 to 30% production loss because of massive, you know, weather that happened last year, whether it was hail or drought or whatever. You know, so we had a big loss there. We also went through and, you know, prices were fantastic. So, you know, if we had a small bin that was hard to get in and out of, we're like, well, we're not going to store that. We're going to take it to town, you know, or, hey, this crop wasn't the most perfect quality and I don't want to have to mess with it on farm. So we're going to take it to town. So in general, I think we move between 15 upwards of 20 percent more to town during during that harvest window or Octave window for sure than what we normally would have. We moved early. So when you look at it from that standpoint here, the end of March, approaching the end of March, where are we at? Well, we had a shorter crop to begin with. We've moved more early on. What do we have left on the farm? Way less than we normally have left at this point in time in the year. And we're seeing that reflected in basis values. Um, In our state, we've seen basis continue to creep up here. The, 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 The longer we go, the more they creep up. Every now and then they'll get their fill and maybe basis bids back off by 10 or 15 cents. But then at some point we come right back to reality that like, oh, hey, we got another month of grind. We got another month of feed we need. Where are we going to get this from? We have to pay up to get this grain to move again. So we're seeing really elevated basis premiums. And that looks really good and really fun if you're in my shoes and you've got hedges on and you're just taking advantage of it. But from a cash standpoint, again, we're not any further ahead than where we were had we just sold this all at harvest this year, which is an interesting spot to be in. So um, we're what little is left out there on the farm, we're kind of in, 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 in I hate to use this phrase, but store and ignore mo- mode on it. We're waiting mm-hmm. for better, you know, uh, because we can, because we can afford to wait, because we made plenty of money on the front end of this crop. Um <sighs> It's going to be hard, I think, to get this tail end out of the farmer's hands without something real sensational happening. I don't know that the futures do all of that for us. I don't know that basis does all of that for us. There's going to have to be some combination or some sort of timing impact to really get the bulk of this tail end to move. There's not much there, Susan. I mean, my, my opinion is that there is not much out there. Um, you know, normally I think you say there's 30, 40, maybe 50% left on farm. Today, I sit here and I would say there's 
10 to 30% left on farm, unpriced, that could be, you know, shipped and sold somewhere at this point in time. So a significant reduction in what we normally see for so, this time of year. So let's let's put the shoe on the other foot from a from a livestock perspective who's hearing you say this and they're like, I gotta buy grain. I need to get through until that new crop comes about. Should there be some nervousness on their standpoint? I don't know that there necessarily is nervousness. I think um over the last couple of years it's been a struggle to source um cost efficient feed. So they've had some good practice at it. Thankfully, this is now a year where they've had good practice at figuring out how to adjust their rations. I think there's wheat out there in the country. There's a little bit of corn, obviously. You do have every ethanol plant I work with anyways is back to full capacity. So you are going to have that supplemental feed as well coming off of, you know, your wet and your dry distiller's grains. It's nervousness per se, but they need to get creative again. I think they need to really be looking at their rations and what they're feeding. Time, what's the best way for folks to get a hold of you? Yeah, they can find us online at uh, agrisconsulting.net and uh, give us a holler, any one of us, uh, 402-484-7474. That's our direct line. And we're all happy to answer any questions that anyone might have. All right. Just a reminder to you as well, commodity futures and options do involve a substantial risk of loss, not suitable to all investors. And that has been today's Fontenelle Final Bell being brought to you by Fontenelle Hybrids and all your local dealers right here on the Rural Radio Network.